Good morning and welcome to you all. Uh, my name is Ross. I'm a member of the church here in Robertson. Uh, I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit of an interesting week, this one. Uh, I, I trust that uh, you had a wonderful time celebrating the birth of Jesus at Christmas last Monday. Uh, and in this week in between, uh, I always find it's a little bit of a choose-your-own-adventure. Uh, there's lots of different options that are quite different to our normal patterns and routines that we, uh, we find ourselves in. Uh, in our household, we've spent time with family and with friends. We've unboxed every new Christmas present uh, and tried to break them in, or just broken them, as the case might be. Uh, and there's been a mandatory afternoon snooze, well, at least for Hannah and I, there has been. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty enjoyable week. Um, uh, we're looking at Matthew 20 today. Uh, our senior minister, Dan Bidwell, uh, who's on annual leave at the moment, started a series in Matthew just before Christmas. Uh, so we're jumping quite a few chapters ahead in what we're looking at this morning, uh, but when he returns in January, uh, we'll be continuing on with the series uh, with the earlier chapters of Matthew that we're going to be looking at. Uh, please let me pray for us uh, before we get stuck into looking at this passage. Blessed Lord, who's caused all of the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear, read, learn and inwardly digest them that through the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life which you've given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not fair. I wonder how recently you've heard that said. Uh, between three young kids at home, uh, the teenagers I work, at, work with at high school, uh, and truth be told, uh, my own words and thoughts, uh, I hear that statement very, very regularly. Uh, sometimes it can be said out of a, a deep desire and conviction for justice, uh, and other times, probably most times, uh, it, it really reveals just our unhappiness with things when we feel hard done by or we don't like the situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, in researching for today, I came across a children's book that's titled it's not fair. Uh, it provides young ones with a range of scenarios and situations which people are pretty likely to respond with, it's not fair. Uh, and as with life, uh, some of these situations are fairly trivial, uh, while others r reveal our disgruntlement and our unhappiness with the situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, there are others, though, where there is a reasonable case for us to look at it and think that things are unequal, uneven, or just plain not right. Uh, here's a couple of examples provided by the book. Why do I get the smaller half? It's not fair. Why can't I have a pet giraffe? It's not fair. Why can't I have curly locks? It's not fair. When the birthday party's going on, why now, chicken pox? It's not fair. They said they would, but they didn't wait. It's not fair. Now, having listened to our passage from Matthew 20, that thought of it's not fair might have crossed your mind. Uh, a story where a bunch of workers go out to do the work and get paid exactly the same amount, irrespective of how many hours of the day that they have worked for, would generally leave us thinking it's not fair uh, and questioning the rightness of the employment or the working conditions, uh, especially if it were to happen to us. 
However, as we have a look at uh, this story from the Bible, I hope that we can move away from thinking or stating it's not fair uh, and instead we will see the generosity of God uh, and how we can respond well to him. So our starting point for this passage is firstly to recognise that this is indeed a parable. Uh, Jesus used parables many times throughout his ministry. Uh, They were used as a form of teaching through storytelling. And it presented the listeners with an interesting illustration of which truth or meaning was drawn from. Parables were not just illustrations, though. Uh, they, they were an embodiment of the message uh, because it was, it was difficult to convey the full meaning without seeing the parable uh, in any other way. Uh, so just as a, a love-struck musician uh, will find prose or narrative too limiting, too restrictive in order to express their feelings... Uh, and find themselves writing music and poetry, so too Jesus uses parables to convey and embody meaning about the kingdom of God. They're designed to both enlighten and persuade the listener. Now in this instance, the parable is teaching about the nature of the kingdom of God. Uh, We see this through verse number one, which introduces the parable. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. By beginning the parable with this statement, Jesus is informing his listeners and us today that this story will illustrate how God's intended way of life will be when the promised one, the Messiah, is king over God's people. Uh, In other Gospels, the term kingdom of God is used here instead of kingdom of heaven, uh, but both terms have the same meaning. Through looking at other parts of the Bible, we can recognise that the fulfilment of God's people living under God's reign will occur when Jesus returns and takes his people to be with him in heaven. So as Jesus tells this parable, he's informing his listeners about heavenly things and specifically about entry into heaven. Therefore, all events of the parable need to be viewed through this lens. The setting for the parable, the vineyard, is also important and significant for us. Uh, It is a commonly used symbol within the Bible. Uh, Alongside this parable, there are four others uh, that contain direct references to vineyards. Uh, And when they feature in the Bible, particularly through the parables, they are a sign uh, of God's peace and prosperity and how God had placed his people into his chosen location. These are characteristics that are hugely relevant when we think about God's kingdom and life under God as king. They are the perfect and most idyllic living conditions. So again, it's, it's worthwhile that we note that being a parable, it's not designed to provide for us an all-inclusive business plan uh, or provide a template for workers' rights, but instead it's going to illustrate and embody for us certain characteristics of God's kingdom. Uh, and in this case... It's showing us that peace and prosperity are found in heaven under God's reign. For more depth of meaning for this parable, we also need to look at the the series of stories and events that precede the parable. Uh, So in the chapter immediately before, in chapter 19, we find Jesus having begun his journey to Jerusalem and ultimately towards the cross. And there are two events within this chapter where Jesus speaks again about the kingdom of heaven. In verses 13 to 15, Matthew's gospel recounts Jesus' interaction with his disciples and with little children. I'll read verses 13 to 15 for you. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. 
but the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Here Jesus makes a point of highlighting that the kingdom of heaven is open and accessible to all. And in this case, specifically to little children as well. No one is to be cut off. No one is to be prevented from joining or being a part of God's kingdom. The next section of chapter 19 speaks of Jesus having a conversation with a wealthy young man. It begins with the rich young man asking Jesus a question. Verse 16. Then the man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? The conversation ensues with Jesus' ultimate response found in verse 21. Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. and You will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. He further clarifies this in verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. This surprises Jesus' disciples. We can see this in their response through verses 25 to 27. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. And they asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Peter answered again, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? The disciples were concerned about what Jesus had told them about being saved uh, or entry into the kingdom of heaven. We see in Peter's response that the disciples are worried that they've not given up enough, they've not sacrificed enough to have entry into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus replies and responds to the disciples and introduces an important characteristic about the kingdom of heaven that finishes this section in chapter 19, but also was the conclusion of our passage in chapter 20 also. Here Jesus says to them in verse 28, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, all who have followed me will also sit down on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Jesus tells his disciples here that those who follow him as he sits on his glorious throne, reigning as a king will, that they will also inherit eternal life, and they will also receive a hundred times as much as they have sacrificed. So with their conversation being about entry into the kingdom of heaven, Jesus tells his disciples, firstly, that entering into the kingdom of heaven comes through following him, not through earning it themselves. And secondly, when they are to do, when they are do, what they are doing in following him, leaving family, friends, settled employment, and many other things, is worth the cost, as the reward for their sacrifice is eternal life. And this is emphasised with the final statement. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. 
Jesus is stating for the disciples that though it may appear that they are last in life because they are following him and they are giving up many characteristics that may be valued by the people and the world around them, their reward will be being, having eternal life within the kingdom of heaven. And this is the same statement that we see concluding our parable in chapter 20. Verse 16 says, So the last will be first and the first will be last. So as we return to looking directly at the parable of the workers in the vineyard, let's highlight the key characters and how the story unfolds. Firstly, we have the landowner, the boss. He's looking for workers to come to his vineyard for a day's labour. As was customary in Jesus' day and still in many parts of the world around us today, people looking for work and employment can be found in marketplaces and squares And employers come here to gather as many workers as they require for the day. Our landowner goes out at the start of the day, probably around 6am, to gather workers. We know that the landowner is a fair man because what he offers to pay the workers is a denarius, which is recognised as the right pay for a day's worth of labouring. Now, the landowner returns again at 9am, midday, 3pm and lastly at 5pm. When gathering the second group at 9am, he tells the new group of workers in verse 4, I will pay you whatever is right. The same statement is made to the midday crew, to the 3pm group also. At this point, the workers probably would have been assuming that as they had started later in the day, they would not be getting as big a pay as what those who started at 6am would. They had not done a full day's worth of labour, therefore their pay should not be as much. Now, the pattern of the landowner going and getting more workers has been fairly conventional up to the point with the 3pm group. Now, 3pm is, is a relatively late start for the day with only limited hours left available to work, but there's still enough time for the workers to offer value to the landowner and to receive some meaningful pay for their efforts. We should remember too that in Jesus' day, Israelite society had no forms of public welfare no state-based provision for the needy uh, or trade unions to bargain for workers' rights. In their society, unemployment equals starvation. So we shouldn't be surprised that the workers being gathered later in the day would be willing to go to work even if it were for a smaller number of hours and therefore a smaller amount of pay. However, when we get to the final group, the 5pm shift, there is now barely any time left or daylight for any additional workers to be warranted. So when the landowner asks in verse 6, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. It doesn't seem to make a lot of economic sense for the landowner to be bringing workers when the day is almost over. But again, because this is a parable, It is not providing an example of economic or financially responsible decision-making. Rather, it is highlighting and embodying what the kingdom of heaven is like. It presents the landowner as an open and welcoming heart that is being displayed. This is very much like the story in the previous chapter, chapter 19, when Jesus welcomed all, including little children who came to him. In this parable, we see there is no time in the day where the landowner is not willing to take on new workers to enter into his vineyard. The next phase of the parable moves 
to the payment of the workers. And this is where our it's not fair statement takes centre stage. Starting with the 5pm crew of workers, all the workers line up to receive their pay. And I'm sure it would have been to each one's amazement that they all received one denarius, a whole day's pay for probably about an hour's worth of work. Can you imagine the ripple of excitement that would have moved amongst all of the workers, especially those who had worked many more hours in the day, imagining how much pay they expected to receive? This might be the best paying boss they had ever worked for. We see in verse 10, it says, So when it came to those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But the turn of events that follows demonstrates the nature of the landowner and the nature of the kingdom of heaven that is in contrast with our worldly ways of thinking. The second half of verse 10 here. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked but only one hour, they said. You have made them equal to us. Us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Now the workers offer an argument that I'm sure each of us would go straight for too if we haven't in other contexts already. We have worked longer hours. It was so much harder for us. It was so hot out there. If you think that they're worth a day's worth of pay, we are worth so much more than that. But again, being a parable, there's another point that Jesus is illustrating to his listeners and wants them to take on board. We see this in the landowner's response. He tells them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? The landowner simply states to them that the agreement was to receive a denarius for their day's work. Work a full day, get paid for a full day. And if he wants to give others the same, then that's his choice. It's his vineyard. No one in this parable is being underpaid. Therefore, it's not unfair. What we do see is the landowner treating some of the workers with extraordinary, exceptional generosity. Ultimately, it is the workers who need the pay or the reward because without it, it equals starvation and death for them and their families. To stay outside of the vineyard is of no benefit to the workers. That they receive the same payment or reward is entirely at the discretion of the generous landowner. And so this is the critical characteristic of the kingdom of heaven that we are to understand from this parable. When we inherit eternal life, entry into heaven through faith in Jesus, we are recipients of God's generosity. And some of us are recipients of that exceptional, extraordinary, extraordinary generosity because of our sin-filled past. So when we combine the key characteristics of the landowner and translate them into God's nature, what we see is a God who will go out looking for who he wants to be part of his kingdom. He may call us to join at any point in our life and there is never a point where it is too late. 
Remember the 5 p.m. crew who joined just before the end of the day? All who are called into the kingdom of heaven receive the same reward. That is eternal life. What a patient and generous God we have. Let's wrap things up by considering how we should respond to this parable. Firstly, if you're sitting here with us this morning and are yet to put your trust in Jesus and look forward to sharing an eternal life with him, can I encourage you to think more about your need to trust in Jesus? As this parable illustrates for us, it doesn't matter how old you are, whether that's young, old, or anywhere in between, Jesus wants us to join him and share in eternal life. We don't know which shift of the day we are going to be called to start during, but when we're called, we should go knowing that we're about to receive exceptional generosity from God. And to stay outside of the vineyard is no benefit to us at all. Secondly, if you, if you sit here as a follower of Jesus, a worker who has commenced their shift already, can I firstly encourage you to continue your work in the vineyard with diligence? You are serving King Jesus, the best boss you could ever work for, who knows exactly the work that you are doing. Can I also remind you that the priorities of this world differ to that of our Heavenly Father? Our striving to serve Jesus will mean our lives will look different to the people around us and may mean that we look like we are in last place in this world. However, take encouragement from Jesus in him telling us the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And lastly, rejoice when new workers come into the kingdom of heaven. For that means that there are more who have received eternal life, the greatest gift anyone can receive, and there are more hands to work in serving our Lord Jesus. Let me pray for us to finish.